Alrighty, so men tend to live in worst case scenarios a lot. Uh, there are men who are watching online, men who are in this room, uh, men who are like 16 years old. Uh, and since you know March and April, they were like, well, if this happens, as long as that doesn't happen, we'll be okay. Because in you know, the worst case scenario, we figure out what's the worst possible thing that can happen. They go, okay, it'll, that will never happen. So if I can survive you know, two degrees of separation away from the worst that could ever happen, I'll probably be okay. And, uh, and that's sort of what Peter talks about uh, in First Peter. And one of the things he talks about, and I hope that we've gotten a hold of as we've walked through this book together, is that uh, it's really important for when we are suffering trials and difficulties, and, and maybe they're really difficult, and maybe they're just eh, a little bit of uncomfortable circumstances sometimes. But whenever we're dealing with those things, that what we can do is we say, look, we're going to endure together. Uh, because Christ followers, it turns out we're never, ever alone. Uh, because Christ has said that he will never leave us nor forsake us. But this is really important too. This is the other part of that, because that, that's part of what First Peter is, is God is never going to abandon you, and he's with you to difficulties and the trials, and there's a purpose in those things. But also, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we're always together. There is never a time as a Christ follower that you should feel alone and isolated from other Christ followers. And you say, but, but sometimes they just don't talk to me. Look, here's the thing, I, I, none of us are perfect, but even more than that, it's, we talked about this a lot last week, but are you willing to acknowledge to somebody, hey, I'm having a hard day? When somebody says, hey, how you doing? I'm doing all right. You know, every now and then you need to say, well, today actually I'm struggling a little bit because a Christ follower is going to zero in on that and is going to say, well, hey, what can I do to help? How can I serve you? How can I listen? And we're designed, the body of Christ, to be together, to endure difficulties together. Uh, because when we try and endure difficulties by ourselves, we become very frustrated. We get scared. We get overwhelmed. And sometimes we just quit and say, I just can't do it. So it's important that we endure trials together. So speaking of worst-case scenarios, um, I thought I'd bring a sword. Now, see, when I do that, there are a couple of people in the room who immediately go, okay, what's he going to do? What's the worst thing that he could do? You'd be surprised. <laughs> but here's the thing. I, I, have a, I have this sword in my office. And sometimes people come into my office, they go, well, well uh, what are you doing for a sword? I say, so I can, yeah, if I need to. You know, but actually, I've never done that. But no, I, I, a guy gave me this. I was speaking uh, to a group of men a, a few years ago, and he's the, uh, the strength coach for a major college uh, football program. And he said, hey, you need a sword. I said, why do I need a sword? He said, because a man who talks to men about manly things needs a sword. I'm like, I really don't think I need a sword, but I'll take it. Thank you very much. So, but, but here's the thing. Uh, I pull a sword out, and a lot of people in the room go, well, you know what, I wish I had one of those. But what would I do if something came up? How would I handle it? Because worst case scenario, when you have a sword, is what? You might get into a sword fight. So, so how do you handle that? How, how do you win a sword fight? Right? So this is from the worst case scenario handbook. Um, just in case, later this afternoon, some guy comes running down aisle nine at Target and goes, ah! Here's what you do, all right? Number one, step into the blow holding your arms against the body, all right? So you never want to be doing this. 
but you want your arms close so when they swing at you, they're going to hit your arm first and cut it off your arm before they hit your torso, right? The, the second thing, punch at the blow instead of only absorbing it. Don't be a pansy. Don't. Okay, I'll start fighting. No, you don't do that because they're going to hit the sword. They're going to break the blade off, right? Number three, do not raise the sword over your head. This is a classic mistake because you watch this in the movies, right? The guy picks up his sword and goes like this. And when you do this, what you doing? You expose your torso. So you do this, and that guy goes, it's over. Okay? Don't put the sword over your head. Now, this last thing they say is they do not stab. I disagree with this because what's the point of a sword fight? The point of a sword fight is to kill the other person. It's to stab them, Right? It's not, it's like, because it never works out. It's like, I'll tell you what, I'll just win on points. No, I'm going to touche, right? And get out. But when you do that, you lose your balance and they cut your arm off and things don't end well. So anyway, in case you get involved with a sword fight later today, uh, just a little bit of worst case scenario advice for you. And so no matter what worst case scenario you may have dreamed up six months ago, six days ago, Six minutes ago, you are never, ever alone. Men, you're never, ever alone. Women, you're never, ever alone. Students, you're never, ever alone. You get that grade on Tuesday this week and go, oh, God, what's the worst thing's going to happen to me? And you're trying to figure that out. You're never, ever alone. But God is always with you, and also other believers are with you too. So no matter what the worst case scenario is, know that there's a way through it. So Peter talks about this. And uh, as we have these worst case scenarios, what do we do? It's keeping these things in mind. We've talked about, he says this, he says, clothe yourselves, wrap up. This is who you are. This is when somebody sees you, they're like, oh, this is that guy. Clothe yourselves, all of you with humility toward one another for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the third time in the book of first Peter that he says, look, when you do this, God is going to be opposed to you. God's not going to be on your side. Right? And remember, he, he, we talked about this a few weeks ago. He said, husbands, listen, if you don't honor your wives, what's going to happen? God's going to be opposed to you. He says, look, he says, if you oppose, uh, if, if, if you decide that you're going to be a very proud person, God is going to be opposed to you. So don't be that way. He goes on, he says this, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Now, this is key because he, it's always at his time. See, we want it right now or at our perfect time. Because maybe you think your perfect time is Tuesday afternoon at 3.13 in the afternoon. But that may not be God's perfect time. His plan is always better. He will exalt you. What does exalt mean? Exalt means to lift you up. That's what he's going to do. He says that he will lift you up. So as you humble yourself, as you lower yourself, as you say, underneath the authority of God, I am going to submit myself to him. At his time, he will lift you up. And you would rather God lift you up than men lift you up. See, we get real worried about our status and about our popularity and what people think about us. And we want people go, oh man, that guy, man, she, the way that she does things. We want recognition by men. We want recognition by people around us. We want people by our, who recognize us on third period on Thursday afternoons. But here's what, here's what really happens. Is that God says, I'll exalt you. And when he lifts you up, it lasts forever. When men lift you up, it's temporary. 
He says, uh, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now, this is really important. We'll come back to this in just a minute about casting and what does that mean and why is that an I-N-G word? We'll get to that in just a second. And then he says this. He says, be sober-minded, be watchful, sober-minded, clear-headed, be, be clear-headed. Don't let other things be pushing you down to such an extent, and maybe it's circumstances, maybe it's chemicals, don't let things be pushing you to such an extent that you cannot think clearly because when you can't think clearly, you can't be watchful. Watch for what? Watch for your adversary, the devil. Now, a lot of people, even people online, sit there and think, you know what, there's no such thing as the devil. According to surveys, 67% of people in church in the United States do not believe that there is a devil. I do. I believe there is one. I believe he causes us problems. Now, um, C.S. Lewis said that uh, it's basically two ends of the spectrum. He said some people think there's a devil and a demon behind every bush and underneath every teacup. Uh, and some people think that there's not one at all. And he says, you know, we probably need to be somewhere in the middle of all that. I, I think that he's right because I think he's basically a genius. Um, but, but here's the thing. See, somebody will sit there and go, I'll tell you what. I got, I, 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 I got fired two weeks ago, and it's just the devil getting after me. No, you got fired because you showed up for work 10 days uh, in a row late. That's why you got fired. You're a doofus. Get your rear end out of bed and get to the office. You got fired because you didn't show up. That's what happened. The devil had nothing to do with that. Now, on the other hand, we sit there and go, you know what? Man, this is the weirdest thing, but, you know, my, my kid has just, I don't know, starting about five or six weeks ago, just started acting differently. You know, he started talking about things in a way that he hadn't talked about before. And he started, you know, kind of, you know, being in this dark mood all the time. And you go, ah, and he's got these new friends he's hanging out with. And you sit there and go, but I'm sure it's just a phase. He'll just work through it. Maybe, but maybe also, maybe there's, maybe the devil's getting involved in something. Maybe there's some people in his life that are a little evil and they're trying to pull him that way a little bit. And you, you, you need to be aware that maybe there's something going on there. Right? You, you, know, you know, maybe you got something going on in your marriage and there's this argument that won't stop and it keeps going and you've been arguing about it for about three or four days and every time somebody mentions it, you're kind of like, a little bit. You know what, you know, maybe the friction that's in your family right now, maybe it's spiritual warfare because you know what the devil wants to do? He wants to divide and destroy. He wants to divide and destroy families, divide and destroy marriages, divide and destroy churches. That's what he wants to do. And so, what, so, and so what happens is he kind of steps in there just a little bit and, and starts kind of messing around with, with your family a little bit. And, and maybe what you should do is you should stop and go, hey, hang on a minute. Is there a chance that some of the friction we've got going on in our house right now is because of the adversary? But you got to be careful how you do this because you can't, you, know, you can't be, you know, both of you are kind of, you know, kind of jacked up and kind of mad and temperature's about 93, 94 in there and you go, I'll tell you what, you're just like the devil's got a hold of you. <laughs> no, don't do it like that, okay? She will go get a sword. <laughs> and then you're gonna have to know how to sword fight. See, all this ties together, right? No, but, 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 here's, here's, the, but no, here's the thing. But when things have calmed down a little bit and say, hey, look, I love you. I know you love me. We love our kids. We love our family. Why are we having all this friction right now? Do you think maybe there's some spiritual attack going on in our family right now? 
So be watchful. Be watchful. Uh, it, it's important. And he says, he says, your adversary, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion, uh, uh, seeking someone to devour. Now, I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to talk about it very long. But, you know, a, a, a lion, when it is looking for prey to devour, uh, it crouches, it moves really slowly, takes time. And maybe you've never seen a lion do this. Maybe you've never heard of National Geographic. Maybe you've never watched something like this on TV. Maybe you've never seen a lion do this. But maybe you're one of those people who has a cat in your house. And that cat is stalking a ball of yarn because that yarn is a threat to him. And he's like, I got it. And like, yeah, it was just a ball of yarn. Is that all you got? But the, the whole idea is that lion doesn't try and attack the herd. It attacks just one, the one that's a straggler, the one that separated itself from the herd a little bit. That's the one the lion goes after, the one that's a little young or a little old, the one that's a little slower than the others, the one that's maybe a little sick. But it's always the one who has distanced himself from the herd because in the herd, there's safety. But you divide yourself out from the herd and you are making yourself more vulnerable to attack. And it says he prowls like a roaring lion. And so see that, that lion gets closer and closer and just before he springs on his prey, he roars. And if you've never heard a lion roar, it's, it, the, the, it, the noise is almost deafening. If we cranked up the PA in here as loud as we could do it and I had a lion right here who roared, you would hear the lion roar over the PA. And that loud noise that you weren't expecting causes you to freeze for just a minute. Okay, that's his accusation. That's his screaming at you, telling you that you're no good and you freeze for just a minute and go, who is saying that? Why do I feel this accusation? Why do I feel this shame? And in that moment, he, he jumps and tries to get you to waver away from what you know. So Peter says, when that happens, because he's, he's looking to devour you, what do you do? He says, resist him, firm in your faith knowing that same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And again, Peter's talking about the same thing he talked about a few lines before in the letter that we looked at last week. He says, look, when things are hard, difficult, trials, misunderstandings, pressure in your life, don't forget, pray. Don't forget, serve one another. Don't forget, love one another deeply. Don't forget, throw your pain on God because pain feels so painful that we feel like we've got to handle it ourselves and we don't let somebody else have it. He says, let God have it. He says, and after you have suffered a little while, he says, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Now, this is the thing. A lot of times we look at somebody and say, yeah, I know that. I'm going to be as restored and confirmed and strengthened and established when I get to heaven. But that's not the context that Peter is writing in. He says, look, even though things are difficult right now and you don't understand why things are going on and why they're happening the way they're happening. And I just... Ugh, I can't sleep and I'm tired and I'm worn out and it's hard. No, he says, look, he's going to restore you. And it may not be this afternoon. But after you've suffered a little while, not for forever, after you've, th this purpose and this suffering has happened, he says, he's going to confirm you and strengthen you and establish you. And he says, it's going to happen. And Peter starts writing this and he can't help but just break out into worship. And he says, to him be the, the dominion forever and ever, amen. Because he says, look at what's going to happen. And so let me show you a few things uh, application-wise from this passage about how to thrive in the storm, 
how to thrive in the storms. Number one, waiting is the old normal. It's not new for us to wait on God. Some of us have been waiting on God for months. Some of us have been waiting on God for 20 minutes. But Psalm 27, 14 says, wait on the Lord and take heart and wait on the Lord. God's gonna bring things about in his timing. And here's the thing, his timing is always perfect. Now here's why we struggle with it because we think that his timing is usually too slow. Because usually most of us, we want things from God. We want him to do something for us. We want him to fix that relationship. That girl we've been talking about, you know, and you know, kind of trying to get something going with and like, oh Lord God, would you tell her to say yes so we can you know, go out? God, hello, (laughs) it's Tuesday afternoon. She's doing, said, yes, come on, get to it, hurry up. God, what do I need to do, right? Or uh, you've got got a nephew who's who's walked away from God and you're like, you know, God, bring him back. And and you've been been praying for two weeks and like, you know, God, what are you waiting on? Or you've got relationship struggles. You're like, God, we're gonna straighten this out. Or somebody's sick. God, how about healing them? I've, I've, I've prayed twice, why not hurry up? And see, see, the thing is, most of the time when we want something from God, we think he's too slow. Now, on the other hand, we think God's timing is, is messed up because when he wants us to do something for him, we think he's too fast. You know, God calls us to do something, calls us to, and it could be something like, hey, start a relationship with someone, talk with somebody, be a better listener, start a life group, reach out to your neighbors, whatever. And you go, oh, God, it's not a good time. Uh, God, there's a pandemic going on right now. I can't do that. Um, Is there a YouTube video I could watch about that? Uh, Maybe I need to take a class. Is there a book I could read? I I need to pray about this some more. And see, and so generally we think that God shows up too early when he asks us to do something for him. And so we kind of go, I don't think so. Or we think he's too slow doing stuff for us. But the truth is, is God's timing is always perfect. It's always exactly right. He's never early. He's never late. And, and, and here's the thing, just real quickly. By the way, when God asks you to do something and you go, ah, I don't think so. He may bring about circumstances in your life to get you to move to where he wants you to be because he's not trying to manipulate you or control you, but he wants the very best for you. And he knows if he gets you in the place where you should be, that you will be in a much more content place in your relationship with him. So he says, look, I'll get you to where you need to be. But it's much easier to go when he tells you than when circumstances get unfolded around you and you get moved to a place that you were never anticipating to be. So that's just for free. Uh, Lamentations 3.26 says this. It says, so it's good to wait quietly for salvation from the Lord. See, when something happens, so many times what we do is we say, I'm gonna find a way to make this happen. I'm I'm going to do this. I'm gonna cause this to happen. I'm going to manipulate things. I'm gonna try a little side conversation and see if I can get this person to do that and then I'll get the result that I want. Don't do that. It's not a good idea. Because see, when you decide that you're not going to wait, what you're really doing is say, I'm not going to humble myself before the Lord, but I'm gonna be prideful. And number two, pride is not a good idea. Pride is never a good idea. Um, God's plans are always better than our plans. And so what we should do is we should receive God's plans rather than raging against God's plans and saying, look, why are you doing this? Why is it happening so slow? Why did it happen the way that I want it to? Why are these circumstances going on in my life? And 
the next thing is that we throw off our anxiety. Now, I said a minute ago, it says casting all your anxiety upon him. I said, we're going to talk about that for just a minute. So C-A-S-T-I-N-G, casting, that's a participle, means ongoing action. Now, not to get everybody lost in grammar uh, on a Sunday morning, but that is a, that word casting, that participle is a modifier of the word humble. So when you humble yourself, it says the way that you humble yourself is by casting off your anxiety. Hurl it, ongoing action. Because you're not going to have anxiety just one time. You're having, you get that anxiety taken care of, you're going to have anxiety about something else and then anxiety about something else and then anxiety about something else. You hurl that. You forcefully throw it off of yourself. Here's what we tend to do. I especially tend to do this. I pray about it. Oh, Lord God, would you please take this and help me and guide me through this. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And then I go, whew, all right. And then about five minutes later, I'll tell you what, I need to fix that because he's not moving fast enough. And what's that indicative of? That's indicative of the fact that I'm not very humble. That's indicative of the fact that I'm proud and that I can fix this and I don't think that God is moving fast enough. And so if he's really in charge, he would hurry up and do this. But what that means is I'm trying to tell God, you work for me, I don't work for you. So, but we throw off our anxiety. We don't hang on to it. We forcefully say, get off of me and don't pick it back up. It's not just saying it, but by an act of your will, saying, I'm going to get rid of this. I'm not holding on to this anymore. It's not worth it. And it says, think carefully. We already talked about this just a little bit. Uh, number four, think carefully to thrive in the storm. Set your mind on things above. Don't get so awash in your anxiety and circumstances that that's all you see and you forget that God is in charge. There's never a moment that he's on vacation, that he's forgotten about you, that he's out of town, that he's too busy, that he's preoccupied. No, he is always has his mind set on you. And so set your mind on things above and remember that he has got you. Uh, number five, sober up. Sober up. Now, this word sober, when it's used in Scripture, is the same meaning as we have in um, Atlanta in 2020. Sober up. Think clearly. Have, be be clear-minded. So if you've got lots of anxiety that is wearing you out and you can't think clearly because you're trying to fix that and worries and concerns and circumstances, if those kind of things are going on, you cannot think clearly. And if you can't think clearly, you can't keep watch. Now here's the other thing. In April of this year, alcohol sales in our area were up 75%. I've had a lot of conversations in the last few months about people telling me, hey, you know, a lot of times I have a glass of wine before I go, uh, I go to bed at night. And then they say, you know what? So I've been having a bottle and I need to cut back on that. I'm like, well, yes, you do. This past week, one of the top searches on Google was where's the closest liquor store? When you're self-medicating like that, you cannot be clear-minded. It's not going to happen. And you're trying to do that to forget about what's going on somewhere else you're just going to end up driving into a ditch.
with your life. As far as I know, we have more new people coming to celebrate recovery every week than we've ever had. That's great. If, if you know somebody that is having a hard time with that, if you're having a hard time with it, you need to be up here on Tuesday nights at seven o'clock. Get them here. Say, I'll go with you. It's important. It's not just because it's an addiction issue. It's because you can't hear what God has to say when your head is all foggy. You're going to miss it. And, and at CR, we can help you with anxiety or we can help you with any other dependency. But you should be here. So sober up. Number six, stand against the adversary. And he, he, he doesn't say to go run and attack him. And, and there are some people who are all about spiritual warfare. Let's go. Let's go kick the devil around. Let's go. You shouldn't be scared of him, but you should do what the scriptures say. That's what you should do. You should resist him. Say, I'm taking a stand. No, you're not pushing me back. I'm taking a stand right here. Because, you know, the, the truth is, is, is basically you're more dangerous to yourself than the devil is to you because he has to ask permission of God and you don't. What do I mean by that? If you decide you want to sin, you don't have to ask God's permission. You can just do it. And so that's why you're potentially of more harm to yourself than he is because he has to ask for permission to attack you. But you don't have to ask permission of God for you to go and sin. And, and, and here's the thing, is he is, going, he is going to be looking for you. He's looking for you to separate yourself from people, to segment yourself off, to say, I can handle this. I don't need relationships. I don't need community. I don't need to be close to other Christ followers. It's not really important. Look, I got me, and I got my wife, and we got our kids, and we're fine. And we don't need anybody else. And you are setting yourself up for an attack. You know, and, and the thing is, when you, when you talk about attack, I mean, I mean people, people get worried about being attacked. You know, the odds of a shark attack is one in 3.7 million. This keeps people out of the ocean. Do you know that? Sometimes I ask people, hey, why, why don't you go swim in the ocean? They're sharks, brother. They're sharks. Yes, they're this big. But there are sharks there. Well, I, you, know, I saw, you know, somebody might get bit by a shark. I said, well, yeah, and then you get, your, then you get to be on TV. So come on, let's go swim. Um, but that's the odds, the, the odds of a grizzly bear attack. And some people, this is the whole reason they don't go camping. I don't go camping because they don't have air conditioning. Um, <coughs> the odds of a grizzly bear attack, one in 2.1 million. Right? So somebody said, I'm not going in the woods. A bear might attack me. But the odds of an attack by a supernatural lion are one in one. It's going to happen. At some point, maybe at a lot of points in your life, you're going to attack, be attacked by the adversary. So what do you do to thrive in that storm? You, well, you got to cling to the truth when he attacks you. You got to hang on. And, and, and when I say cling, think about when somebody's hanging on to the edge of a building and that's all they, and they're using all their strength to hold on to it and they will, I will not let go no matter what. That's what you got to do. You have to cling to the truth. Hold forcefully to the truth. Believe the truth. 
because the devil is a liar, and he's really, really good at it. He's a lot better at being a liar than you are of holding on to the truth. And he will try and talk you out of it. Listen, he will come to you, and he has this dual role, and he'll come up to you, and he'll be, he'll be the deceiver. Hey, come on. It's okay. Come on. Remember that thing you used to do? You're like, no, I'm not doing that anymore. But just look at this for a second. No, I'm not going to look at that. I said I wasn't going to look at that anymore. No, but just look at it one time for just a No, I'm not going to look at that. I told my wife. I told my accountability group. I'm not going to look at that stuff. No, just come look at it. Just from looking at just look at this. I'm not. Okay. And, you see, and, and then immediately he shifts from being deceiver to accuser. And he tells you, he says, you are terrible. You're an awful person. How could anybody love you? Listen, if your wife, if she looks and sees what you just did, remember how many times you told her you're not going to do this anymore and you just did it again, she's out of here. And I don't blame her because you can't, even, you can't even keep your word. What are your kids going to think about you because you did that? What if they find out? You better keep it a secret. You better start hiding things. And it just starts going, doesn't it? He's never nice. He's always a liar. He's not going, I tell you what, they should have a good day today. No, he wants to destroy you. He doesn't want you to have a great day. He doesn't want you to go, hey, this was a great day today. He doesn't want that for you. There's never a time where he's cute and cuddly and taking a break. It's not that, not, not that way. We, we, we have to trust God more than we trust the devil. What do I mean by that? Tell the truth. When you lie, you're saying, I trust the devil more than I trust God. So when something comes up, somebody asks you a question, say, Yes, that is what happened. And don't try and figure a way to lie yourself out of it. Or if it didn't happen, say no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. How, and how do you, how do you know the, the voice in your head is the devil? Because you know, sometimes every now and then you're like, I'm just not sure. I kind of feel like I'm just getting led to go do something and I'm just not so sure. And you know, it doesn't make sense. It's something I don't ordinarily do. Well, this isn't a fail safe, but one way you can do is just stop for a minute, get out of the emotion for a moment, take a step back and say, now, is this something that, that would seem to be what the devil wants me to do? Like this morning, like, you know, last night, you're sitting there going, I really believe I'm supposed to go to church tomorrow for some reason. I haven't been in a while and I'm supposed to go and I think I'm supposed to worship today because I, I, to, I need to worship some. And you're like, okay, is that the Lord telling me to do that or is that the devil telling me to do that? It's probably not the devil telling you to do that. Okay? Just stop for a minute and think about it. Now, that's not a fail-safe. It doesn't always work, right? But, you know, look at what's going on and ask yourself that question. Because see, what, he, wants you to get, he wants you to believe all kinds of things about yourself. He wants you to believe <clears throat> that you've got something to prove, that, that you've got to run faster, that you've got to be better, that you've got to be smarter, that you've got to outwork people, that you've got to be more holy, that you've got to be a better person. And, and, and he'll use that to, to warp things, to make you think that the more right things that you do, the more that God will love you. And you have to earn God's love. He, he loves to do that. Uh, he wants you to believe that you won't make it through the storm. You've got something going on in your family right now. You're like, this is so painful. You got divorced seven years ago. You're like, when is this ever gonna stop hurting? Your, your mom died two years ago. And every day you wake up crying. And you're like, 
when does this pain go away? You've got something that, that is between you and one of your children, and there's this all the time. Like, when does that stop? You, you've, you've got this, this memory that you're wrestling with from 10 years ago. And like, this is never going to stop. And so you, he wants you to believe that the pain won't, that, 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 that you won't make it through the storm so that you'll quit. He, he, he wants you to believe that the pain will never stop. So why try and make it get any better? Why, why trust God? He, he wants you to believe that you deserve to relax. Look, it, listen, being a, being a Christ follower, it's simple, but it takes some work. Look, quit reading the Bible. Just relax. Just stop. You don't understand it anyway. Half the time you read it and go, ah, I didn't even get what that means. And sometimes when you pray, you fall asleep, so just quit. It doesn't really matter. And, and quit caring about people so much. They treat you badly anyway. And, and, and quit giving. You, aren't you worried about what's going to happen? You better stuff your pockets. Just relax. That's what I want you to get you to do. The last thing from Peter talks about in this passage is that we should embrace grace. We should remember that God is who he says he is. Grace is what you need when you need it. You need to be delivered from pain. God can do that. You need to know that you're loved no matter what. God can do that. You need to be forgiven. God can do that. You need someone who listens. God can do that. And God working through the lives of other people can show you grace so that you're never, ever alone, that you're never, ever forgotten about. You got to say, that's what I want. Get off the performance track. Get off the, I got to prove something to somebody, that I want to be better than somebody. I want people to recognize me. Get off of that track and say, now I'm going to embrace that God is who he says he is. I spent a lot of time in Africa over the years. And so, um, the, so I've gotten to see some lions out in the wild and I've gotten to see them a few other places. And so there are these, uh, uh, you may have seen them on TV somewhere, but Maasai warriors, uh, they look like this. And so and this is called, and they, they even call this Maasai cloth, uh, as a matter of fact. But regardless, uh, that, you'll see them walk around in Nairobi, which is a city of 8 million people. You'll see them out in the middle of nowhere where there's just a stream. And, you'll, and you never see a bunch of them, a big horde of them. You'll see two or three of them walking together. Uh, basically, they're, they're, they're cattlemen. Uh, they, they, ha- they have really tiny, embarrassingly small cows. And... Um, they, they're, they're, they're small and they're thin, and uh, a lot of times they don't butcher the cows, but they will um, harvest some of the blood from the cows, and that's what, for a lot of them, that's their protein source. And, um, but they're having to watch their animals, right? And, so the, and the, they're familiar because they don't live in buildings and they don't live in the city. Uh, they're familiar with, with lions. And so I'm, I'm talking to one one day, and uh, uh, I asked him, I said, uh, so, I, so I said, how do you know when a lion shows up? I, and he said, well, he says, because they have really big feet. And we don't think about that. He said, but they have really big feet. And so when they push down on the grass, it makes a particular pattern. And because, you know, it's very dry there. And so there's not necessarily footprints on top of the grass. And he says, but with the grass will be bent a certain way. And then when the breeze blows, they've learned that the, it causes a, the bentness of the grass to be in such a way that they can go, oh, that's a lion. 
So when they recognize and see, yeah, there's a lion here, they just stop right there. They don't move. They don't try to go attack the lion. They just stop right there. And so then he'll wait because there's always other Messiah around and we'll just wait until a bunch of them get there around them. And then as a group, they will go and move toward the lion to get rid of it. So I'm asking this guy again, he's got this this scar on his chest. I said, where'd you get the scar on your chest? He said, well, I got attacked by a lion. I said, whoa, 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 hang, hang on, what happened here? He said, no, that's the way it's supposed to work. And I said, what do you mean? He said, no. He said, I went and the lion attacked me and while the lion attacked me, the Messiah attacked the lion because we were all together and we stayed together in the middle of something. And so when trials come, we endure together. Because if you do it by yourself, it's not going to go well. The interesting thing about this passage to me is that Peter says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. It's a metaphor. He's not a lion. So we can defang him and declaw him. He's pretending to be something he's not. Why is he pretending to be something he's not? Because what does the Bible say? The Bible says that our God is a roaring lion. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, that he sits on the throne, that he rules and reigns, and he is robed in majesty, and he has nothing to fear. And you watch a real lion walk around in the wild, and that cat is afraid of nothing. And by the way, they're not little like the ones you see at the zoo. I have a friend who shot the third biggest lion uh, that's been taken in Africa. It's about this tall at the shoulder. I'm six foot three. It's a black mane lion. They're almost, they're, you don't see a whole lot of them. Your God is a roaring lion. And he will protect you and preserve you and take care of you and undergird you in every single way. And though you might not understand what's going on and why it's happening, have no fear. Your God is with you. Your God is for you. Even though there was a great divide between you and him, he sent his son Jesus to bridge that divide so that you could have confidence knowing your God is with you no matter what. And if you don't have that confidence today, you should put your faith in Jesus for the first time and say, when you were crucified, I believe that you were crucified for me. And so today I'm going to give you my trust. I'm gonna put my faith in you. I'm going to walk with you, Jesus, because your plan is much better than mine. So would you do that today? Would you say, Jesus, here I am. I give you my life.